The poor people of Loreto in Baja California have been hit hard by the COVID-19 virus shutdown, and they need food. Friendship with God is delivering food directly to their homes. Go to www.friendshipwithgod.org and look for the Loreto Need banner to donate or call 619-599-1104. God bless you. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. And if a person says, oh, no, wait a minute, I can show you a good person. I know there's a good person. Mother Teresa... She was really a good person. Then God says, you're making me a liar? You're making me a liar because God said everyone is sin. And it says in 1 John 1.10, 1 John 1.10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us, especially if we say that we haven't sinned because God says, no, all have sinned. And the tragedy today, the tragedy today is that most people think that they can stand up before God on their own record Somehow they're going to get this legal verdict of justified based on, that's a tragic, tragic miscalculation. It's what the Bible calls a way that seems right. It seems right. I mean, I'm pretty good. Everybody says I'm pretty good. That seems right. But the end thereof are the ways of death. In Proverbs 14.12, Proverbs 14.12 says, there's a way which seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And you know what's so terrible about that way? It's a catastrophe, it's a tragedy, it's all not necessary. It's all not necessary. Hell, every person who is in hell today, it wasn't necessary for them to be there because the death of the Lord Jesus Christ has put salvation within the reach of every person. All they have to do is take it. All they have to do is take it. And that's why the very next verse after Romans 3.23, Romans 3.24 is so important when it says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. It's a free gift. Just take it. The right way to be justified is what God calls faith in his blood. That's Romans 3.25. It's faith in his blood. That's a key right there. Faith in his blood. We're talking a lot about the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That, these are facts, that what, are the, what the accomplishments of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, what he accomplished when he shed his blood. But our part, our step is to have faith in his blood. What is that? Faith in his blood. That's a transferring of reliance. It's a transferring of dependence. Whereas in the past, it was, I rely on my own record. I will stand before God. I will be justified before God. That is the old way. 
Faith in his blood is an abandonment of trusting in that position. It's a real turning back, turning back on that and saying, no, now I have faith in his blood, which means a wholehearted reliance. Faith in his blood is like a passionate grip where you see the picture of that with Jacob. Jacob in Genesis 32. This is where it says that Jacob in Genesis 32, verse 24. Genesis 32, 24. Jacob is left alone. He wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. This is an all-night wrestling. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, that's the man, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. The man says, and he said, let me go for the day breaketh. Jacob replies, and he said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. And he said unto them, what is thy name? And he said, Jacob. Now this is God in the flesh, and he's wrestling here with Jacob. And I don't want you to think that God says, you know, I'm so exhausted from all this wrestling, I can't remember. What was your name again? What was it? I thought, oh, it was Jacob. Yeah, okay, I forgot. Okay, right. It wasn't that. That's not what God had in mind when he said, what is your name? Is it, what he, when he said Jacob, Jacob means heel, heel catcher. That was his name because Jacob's life was one struggle after another. It started from his birth. He's trying to struggle and pull back his, 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 his brother. I'm going to get up for you. you go, I'm going to pull you back. That's his name. He lived his life that way. What's your name? Jacob. Verse 28, verse 28, Genesis 32, 28. He said, thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men and hast prevailed. The man who is the prince of God. Three words make up the word Israel, 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 Ish, Sar, El. Ish means man, Sar means prince, El means God. A man who is a prince with God. That was his new name. So he's left alone. Jacob's left alone there. He's wrestling with a man who is God. He says that. He says, I've seen God face to face. The Lord Jesus Christ, this is Jehovah Jesus in this wrestling match. He's put into the state of incredible pain by having his hip put out of joint. And in that state of pain, Jacob then passionately grips the man and he says, I won't let you go except you bless me. In other words, Jacob is saying to the man, you're gonna have to kill me for me to let go of my grip. And it's that passionate grip that causes Jacob to be rewarded with this new name of Israel. That's a picture of what it means to have faith in his blood. It's a passionate reliance on the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the basis to how to receive the gift of justification. You, can, you read this passage here in Genesis 32, you can feel the passion. You can feel the passion. You know, whenever I... Uh, I, I, you know, I, I, whenever I dive in the water, because I'm trying to, to be like whale, a whale, but anyway, whenever I dive in the water, whenever I go diving, you know what I fear more than sharks? I fear moray eels. Moray eels, sticking your hand in a place where a moray eel is. You know why? Because when a moray eel clamps down, you know what he does? He doesn't let go. He does not let go. You have to kill him in order to get that jaw to release. And Jacob here is like a moray eel bite. He's got a moray eel grip with God where he says, look, he says, you have to kill me for, in order for me to release you. And this is what Jacob says to God. He's got this moray eel grip on God and he says in verse 26, Genesis 32, 26, he says, when he says, let me go, and he says, I will not let you go except you bless me. 
This is the passion here. It reminds me when I was speaking to a person one time. I really doubted whether this person knew the Lord. And when that person re- referred to God and said, and salvation of the Lord Jesus and just said, yeah, all that religious stuff. <laughs> all that religious stuff, that's not the moray eel grip. Faith in his blood is a passionate grip on God with a passionate appreciation for all that the, the blood of the Lord Jesus accomplished. And that's what we've been studying here. One of them here is justification. Now, our verse goes on to say in verse 9, Romans 5, 9, Romans 5, 9, much more than being justified by his blood. Now, when it says this, much more than, it forces us to look back at the verse above it where we read in Romans 5, 8, Romans 5, 8, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now, a sinner is an enemy with God, So while we were yet enemies with God, Christ died for us. God showed, we've been talking about tonight, Christian has been bringing out this unbelievable love to us that the Lord Jesus had when he died for us, but he died for us when we were enemies to God. We were sinners, we were enemies. Think of that. We were in a state of war with God We were his enemies, and he shows the greatest love to us by having the Lord Jesus died for our sins. That's a great great obstacle of being an enemy of God. And God says, I'll remove that obstacle. I'll remove that obstacle. So, and God just abounded over that obstacle to save us when we were God's enemies, and he sends the Lord Jesus to die for our sins. Now, if the Lord Jesus died for us when we're enemies, then how much more is he gonna do for us once we're his friends? You know, friendship with God? Once we're his friends. Now, we all know ourselves. If we're honest about ourselves, we all know that we're not just good sinners, we're the other kind of sinner. We're the dirty, rotten sinner type. And so when we're really honest, we have a question. How can God do that? How can God justify a dirty, rotten sinner? I mean, that's important for us to know. And so in order for us to really kind of get an idea of how God does this, it's really kind of interesting when you look at a, um, when you look at a Proverbs, in Proverbs 8, verse 27, really talks about the love, the special love relationship between God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Son. Proverbs 8, 27, it's very interesting because he, the, the Lord Jesus is speaking, when he prepared the heavens, I was there, when he set a compass upon the face of the depth, when he established the clouds above, when he strengthened the fountains of the deep, when he gave to the sea his decree that the water should not pass his commandment, when he appointed the foundations of the earth, I was by him as one brought up with him, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him. You know, it just gives us a little picture just a little picture of the relationship between God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ when it says, I was by him as one brought up with him. I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him. We can't comprehend fully the love between God the Father and God the Son, but we're getting a little bit of a picture here when it just says, I was by him. This is John 1. This is John 1. In the beginning was the word. That's the name for the Lord Jesus Christ. The word was with God. The word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. The word was with God. I was by him. 
See, and then he described his position with God when the Lord Jesus is here, and it, when it says in John 1.18, John 1.18, no man has seen God at any time, the only begotten Son which is in the bosom of the Father, in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. See, God the Father, God the Son, when it says in Proverbs, they, they were always together. They were doing everything together. When he came, he said in John 16, 28, John 16, 28, I came forth from the Father. I'm coming to the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. He's with the Father. He's always with them. He leaves the Father. He does his work down here of redemption, and then he goes right back up to the Father. It's the only time when they were ever separated from each other is when he came to the world and he came to become our sacrifice. That was the only time when they weren't together. And as soon as the Lord Jesus finishes his work, Boom, back up, as it says in Proverbs 8.30, to continue to be daily his delight, rejoicing always before him. And so, and then when the Lord Jesus, when, when God the Father is speaking about the Lord Jesus, he says in Isaiah 42, Isaiah 42.1, he says, behold my servant whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth, daily his delight. In whom my soul delighteth, I put my spirit on him. He'll bring judgment to the Gentiles. So he describes God the Father, describes the Lord Jesus as the one in whom his soul delights. He's here on earth. Twice he breaks through the silence when he says in Matthew 3.17, Matthew 3.17, a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. In other words, he was saying to all the people there, listen, you've got to understand, that's very special to me, that person there. He's my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Again, Mount of Transfiguration, Matthew 17, 5. Matthew 17, 5. Peter is up there saying, whoa, this is really a momentous time. We've got Jesus and Moses and Elijah. I know we'll make three monuments here. That's what we'll do. Matthew 17, 5, while he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Do you get the picture how much God the Father is focused on the Lord Jesus Christ? He so loves him. When Abel was killed by Cain, we're told that the shed blood of Abel cried out from the ground. And the ears of God heard that. It says in Genesis 4.10, Genesis 4.10, he said, what hast thou done? He's speaking to Cain. What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. See, after Cain kills Abel, God said, the voice of Abel, it's not just speaking to me, it's yelling to me. It's crying to me from the ground. Now, can't you just see God looking and listening to the blood of Abel? It's crying to him from the ground. Now again, think of this love that God the Father has for God the Son, and just imagine God the Father now looking and listening to the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, of God the Son, the one who is his daily, his delight, the one who he wants to be with more than anyone else. It's crying to him from the ground of Calvary. And can't you imagine God the Father with all of his focus on the blood, he's really focused on that blood. He's really eagle-eyed, focused on that blood because he's delighted in him for all of his eternity, that's his blood. And the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, when it's crying out, it's crying out, forgive them, forgive them. I died for them. Just like he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That's the voice that's come out. And the Father's all taken up with the voice of the blood saying, forgive them. 
And now just imagine that as he's all focused on that. And then we find ourselves also shoulder to shoulder, which is what we're gonna do on Good Friday and we do hopefully every day. Shoulder to shoulder with God, looking at the same blood. We're just shoulder to shoulder and we can almost like look over. There's God the Father. He looks over us. That's, there's us. And then just imagine another voice starts to come out and that voice is coming from another place and it's listing all of our sins. And so God is hearing one voice listing all of our sins, everything that we've done against him. And God is hearing another voice of the Lord Jesus Christ saying, Father, forgive him. And you know what God the Father does? He says, God the Father says, justify him. Because he hears the voice of the blood of the Lord saying, forgive him. So he says, justify him. Justify him because I'm, that's the blood of the one I'm well pleased with. That's how we can understand how God the Father could justify us in spite of our sins. It's the voice of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ crying out, Father, forgive them, that's louder than the voice of our accuser. Because justification is a legal term. It comes from God the Father, and it can't be reversed. And every time it's given here, justification in the Bible, in the New Testament, in the Greek, it's always in a one-time tense, never a continuous tense. There's never a continuing justification. It's just, it happens once. When God raises his gavel up and comes down with it, says, justified, that's it. It's one time, that's it. That's why it's so important in verse nine to see what it means when it says, justified by his blood. Justified by his blood. You know, there's a psalm that very powerfully shows the power of the blood of the Lord Jesus. This Psalm 85, nine, Psalm 85, nine, such a powerful psalm here because what it says, it says here, it says his salvation, Psalm 85, nine, his salvation is nigh them that fear him that glory may dwell in our land. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Now, what does that mean? I want you to think now of two persons. I want you to think of two persons here, and one was, one's named Mr. Mercy, and the other is called Mr. Truth. Here's mercy, here's truth. And mercy is looking at you. Mercy is looking at you. And mercy is saying, ah, give him a break. Let him go. Let him off the hook. Don't judge him for his sins. That's what mercy's saying. And truth is also looking at you, and truth is saying, no way. He has broken the laws of God. He has got to be judged for his sins. Now, mercy and truth, this is such a great conflict here. They get angry with each other. And they get so angry with each other, they're almost ready to duke it out over this. And so, but instead, you know what happens? Mercy goes to that corner of the room. Truth goes to that corner of the room. And they turn their back on each other. And as they're turning their back on each other, all you hear is mercy saying, you know, one corner, mercy is saying, give them a break. And truth is saying, give him judgment. Give him all the judgment he deserves. And they're at the two corners of the room. Now I want you to picture two more people. I want you to picture two people, two more people here. They come together. This one's called Mr. Righteousness. This one's called Mr. Peace. And they both are looking at you and your sins. And Peace is looking at you. Mr. Peace is looking at you. And he says, poor guy. He's tormented with this war with God. Bring peace to his soul. Bring peace between him and God. But then righteousness is also looking at you and your sins, and he's saying, no way. There's no righteousness in him. What he thinks is his righteousness is really filthy rags, according to Isaiah 64, 6. 
So bring it on. Bring on the full judgment for his unrighteousness. And again, these two people, unrighteousness and peace, they're so mad at each other that again, they go to these two corners. And they go to these two corners, and peace over here is saying, bring peace to his soul, bring peace between him and God. And over there, righteousness is saying, bring righteous judgment to him. He deserves it. So here we are. We got these two people opposed here, two people opposed here, and all of a sudden, there's silence. You can't believe your eyes. Mercy and truth. They start off, they just turn around from these two corners. They walk toward each other. They get to the middle of the room here, and they just sit down, and they start laughing and talking with each other. You say, what happened? And then it's even more amazing is that these two, you know, peace over here and righteousness over here, they also turn around. They start approaching each other. They're laughing and they're smiling. They kiss each other when they get here to the middle. And you look at them and you say, how could these sworn enemies of each other turn around and kiss each other? How's that happening? And you see the reason why? Because mercy and truth, because peace and truth are together, and righteousness and peace are together, and it all has to do with where they met. That's the reason why they're all together. You know where they met? Calvary. Calvary. You know what they all saw? Blood. Blood on the ground. Blood that was shed. That's the power of the blood to justify us. That's a picture of how God could do what it says in Romans 3. Romans 3.24, it says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation, a sacrifice through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the sins to the remission of the sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. Now get this, Romans 3.26, Romans 3.26. To declare, I say, at this time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. That's how it could happen. That's how those parties all meet together. What comes after that is important. In Romans 5.10, Romans 5.10, it says, for if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So what we see here is reconciled by his death, that's Good Friday, justified by the blood of the Lord Jesus, that's Good Friday, saved by the life, that's Sunday, that's Easter, saved by the life. And our response, joyful, joyful. See, twice it says in there, much more. Why? This is a dramatic love, a very dramatic love. But there's one enemy that we have, and it stands in the way of us putting our faith in the blood of the Lord, and that's described in Romans 4.4. Romans 4.4 says, to him that worketh is a reward not reckoned of grace but of debt, but to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. See, the only person who can avail himself, the only person who can take advantage of this great blood that does so much is the person that worketh not. It reminds me when I was in Ethiopia one time, and there was a, a priest there from France, and, and he was all in robes and everything. He really looked quite the sight, but anyway, that's the way he was. 
in Ethiopia in the, at, the, at the Hilton there in Addis Ababa. He was in the Hilton. And so I, I went up to him and, and, um, and I, I told him how I came to the Lord Jesus Christ and how excited I was, you know, to be a, a child of God, you know, and he was listening to me and listening and he says, yes, he says, and he says, oh, that's great, that's good, but you must keep the sacraments. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Poor people of Loreto in Baja California have been hit hard by the COVID-19 virus shutdown, and they need food. Friendship with God is delivering food directly to their homes. Go to www.friendshipwithgod.org and look for the Loreto Need banner to donate or call 619-599-1104. God bless you. <laughs> 